You're listening to Legally Bliss Conversations. This podcast reclaims and rewrites the stories female attorneys have been told about how we should practice law, grow our businesses, treat our clients, treat ourselves, and craft our identities as female attorneys. We'll hear inspiring stories from current and former female attorneys, the ones who question the stories they've been told, the ones who aren't afraid to live boldly and step into their own power. We'll learn from women who define success on their terms. Through lighthearted and curious conversation, we'll unpack the challenges these inspiring female attorneys have already navigated. So join me on this journey. You'll be empowered and ready to rewrite a completely new story about what is possible for you. Welcome everyone to the Legally Bliss podcast. I would love to welcome today, Miss Judith Gatton. Judith is a stylist, master certified life coach, author, and lawyer. Through her signature course, Style Masterclass, she teaches her clients that thought work is the key to a lasting makeover. Through confidence coaching and mindset work, she helps her clients to see that they can dress and love the body they are in right now. When style and confidence are dialed in, women can go do the work they were created to do in the world. Her ultimate style philosophy, confident women build legacies. I love that. And welcome to the podcast, Judith. So happy you're here. Are you ready to conquer and slay? Yes, let's do it. Let's do it. And I also want to wish you a happy birthday almost. I know we're getting close. Oh, that's so sweet of you. Thank yeah. you. Sagittarius? Yes. 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 I love my fellow Sagittariuses. So I listened to one of your recent podcasts and holy crap, it was just chock full of just life-changing messaging in, in my opinion. Thank one you. of the things that you said, I think is so key is compassion is sexy. It is true self-care. I know that's something that you talk a lot about is self-compassion. Can you tell me a little bit about that? I'd love to hear some of your philosophy around that. Yeah. I mean, I think, and I, because we're both fellow lawyers, right? I think a lot of times we do two things. Either we're trying to find a lesson really quickly in something that we don't like that's happening. We're like, what's the lesson in this? Let me find the silver lining. Let me see how I can reframe the messaging around this so I can deliver this piece of horrible news, right? And it's like, wait, 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 wait. Can we just like pause? I mean, like, I feel pretty shitty right now. This doesn't feel good. I have to be the bearer of bad news or I have to get through this thing that I don't want to get through or have a hard conversation or do something really difficult. And if we're always trying to find silver lining and the message or the lesson or trying to reframe the message, like we're leaving out the part where we're human and we make mistakes and we're scared and we're afraid and we're worried and we have doubt and we miss out on a huge part of the human experience and that kind of quick to jump to silver lining or a message or, you know, whatever it is, if we're so quick to do that, we're never actually evolving. We're just trying to sort of manage our fear and anxiety <laughs> like, and not successfully because that shit sneaks out. So we could have the farce and the like brave face of, you know, I've got it together. I know exactly what to say. I know how to deliver this bad news. I know how to have this hard conversation. And secretly we're still afraid. It still leaks out. We're, we're actually not we're not as clever as we think we are sometimes. So if we find our place of compassion, right? That like, like no, we're not that I'm good. Very clever. 
<laughs> we ain't that slick. Like that part of us sneaks out. So might as well at least give ourselves the pause of like, hey, you, I acknowledge that you have feelings. I know we have to go do this hard thing, but let's just pause here so that in an unexpected, unwanted moment, that emotion that we do really want to keep in check doesn't sneak out inadvertently. Like we're not in the middle of a hearing and getting berated by a judge and then we start crying, <laughs> like, which has happened to some of us. Some of us. May or may not have happened to some of us, right? <laughs> may or may not have happened to some of us. But like, you know, you don't want that in an unexpected way, but that doesn't mean we ignore it. True compassion is acknowledging and expecting that we're going to be uncomfortable and then going about and doing the difficult thing anyway. Like that's compassion. And, and allowing yourself to feel the feelings, right? Like that's something that I've noticed myself with, with just coaching with my coaches <laughs> is that, you know, I think as a lawyer, we're oftentimes trying to find a solution, right? I feel yeah. bad. I'm sad. I'm upset about something okay, I'm going to come up with three like real world tangible solutions to fix the problem. Whereas with true self-compassion, maybe we allow ourselves to feel the sadness or the scaries or whatever the feeling is that comes along with that. Yeah. And then we can take action, but like how better suited are we to take action when we actually acknowledge how we're feeling? I know that when I, you know, I used to do what are called catastrophic claims. I represented insurance companies and government entities in workers' compensation defense. So oftentimes when you deal with catastrophic claims, they're already called catastrophic for a reason. These are people who are severely injured, chance of recovery is slim to nil. So we are literally managing expectations. We're managing delivery of bad news. We are mitigating to the best of our ability, but it's already a losing game. I've already lost. There's no winning in this scenario. There's managing and mitigating. So a lot of times in those scenarios, like, yeah, I need to come up with three solutions. That's my freaking job. But also how better suited am I to come up with three solutions in a very, very difficult situation if I take five seconds, and here's the thing, y'all, I think we think if we have to feel our feels, it's like a whole afternoon of like being emo in our office alone. Like, no, no I'm not even expecting that. Like, please hear me. I'm talking about like a five to 30 second body scan where you're just like checking in with yourself before you move on to problem solving because you're at least clearing that initial like fear reaction, that trauma response, you're getting that whole system a little bit simmered down so that you're literally calming down your cortisol levels so that you can think more rationally, so that you can use your prefrontal cortex to problem solve. If we jump immediately to problem solving without compassion or acknowledging how we're feeling, our cortisol levels are super at an ultimate high, our limbic system is now engaged, and it's really hard to make prefrontal cortex decisions and problem solving at that high level we want. So like from a scientific standpoint, and well as a little bit of woo, it's important that we pause. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's interesting that you mentioned the woo, right? <laughs> But I, I am, a, I was a biology major in college. And so I'm kind of like a scientist at heart in some ways. So I love all of that, but I do definitely see where the quote unquote woo 
um, has some intersection there. And I think that the more that we learn about ourselves and our brains and our minds and our limbic systems and our prefrontal cortex and how all of that works, um, I think that we may learn that woo might be a little more real in however we want to define that that, than what was originally believed. So yeah, no, I'm with you. And I think because, you know, for our lawyers who are like, I'm taught in logic, I have literally jurist doctorates are degrees in logic. Like that's really what we're taught. So the introduction of the woo sometimes is like, you want me to feel my feelings? Really? Like that, how is that supposed to help me? So I think sometimes it's like, I acknowledge this sounds woo, but also here's the science behind it. And like, yeah, there might be some woo, but like, let's invite a tinge of it in. And here's the science of what we're saying and why this works and why this is going to be helpful to you in the long run. So let's talk a little bit about Judith, Miss J. Let's, let's go back a few yeah, years. Yeah, let's here. do it. I want to know, cause this has all been such good stuff, but this is like really coaching stuff. I want to talk a little bit about you and learn a little bit about like who you are and like why you're on this journey. Like there's a why here, right? Like there's a why to your why. Um, but I would love to know, like, why did you go to law school? Why are you now doing what you do? So, so let's take, take me back just yeah, a little bit, a couple of years. years. Oh my God. I feel so old. It's funny because I realized the other day that I had been a litigator for 11 years before I retired from practice. And it was kind of funny to me because I was like, holy shit. Like I did the damn thing. So you did do the <laughs> I thing. did do the damn thing. <laughs> you I did. did. I, I feel like <laughs> I earned that badge. Um, so I originally was a fashion design major and <laughs> it was so weird. I was a fashion design major and a few things happened all at once. Um, I got some negative reviews on one of my garments in my draping class and I'm not expecting anyone to know what that means. It's just a very technical fashion design class. And um, the teacher said that I was technically perfect, but boring, which to a lawyer's ears is like, that is the best praise ever. Right. You can get no higher praise. <laughs> Thank you so much. Right. But to a fashion designer and, you know, very early 20 something year old, that was devastating. So I was like, okay. Clearly I have to do something else. Yeah, I, I held it together and then my brain went into problem solving mode, which like there's early signs of being a, an attorney here. I was like, okay, well, if that's not going to work out and I'm going to be boring and no one's going to buy my stuff, I need to do something else. I'm really smart. I've always been, you know, honor student, like 4.0 GPA, you know, did all the extra math, all the things. So I'm like, okay, I'll just go do something else. My aunt was like, you should be a lawyer. And I'm like, yes, I should be a lawyer. <laughs> Boom. It's done. And it's funny because I went to a special talk at FIT in um, New York City and FIT had a, a fashion lawyer there. Um, his last name is Klein. I can't remember his first name. Really lovely man. And was like, you can combine your two favorite things. And I was like, I will try and go do that. Which, no, that's not how it actually works in the real world. But that's so cute that we think these things. Um, so I went to law school and then I opened up my own practice. I was a solo practitioner right out of law school, which. I wow. Think. So you're on an entrepreneur early, early on. on. I don't recommend it by the way. <laughs> I don't recommend hanging your own shingle when you are that baby of an attorney. Um, yeah. Yeah. What, what was your biggest obstacle as, as a baby attorney, just right out hanging that shingle? I was a wild woman. 
I would just like go research stuff. And I'm like, here's this obscure thing that they did. I'm going to do it too. And I remember once being <laughs> in front of a judge. I won't say his name, but he is a special man. Um, I was in front of a judge and it was, um, and here's the thing. I Early on, I was involved in multi-million dollar divorce cases. So what I would be is I would be like of counsel to handle the dissolution of the business asset within the larger dissolution of the marriage. So that sounds complex. It's extremely complex. I was involved in complex divorce litigation because <laughs> you know I don't do anything simple apparently. Um, and y'all will understand. I mean, we had special masters appointed to address discovery issues. There were not just the divorce attorneys, there were the business attorneys and there, there were trustees of the corporate assets. Like we had multiple layers of counsel on any one of these files. Um, and it was just, I would do wild stuff. And I remember <laughs> being in front of a judge and I was like, I'm consolidating this shareholder derivative, act derivative action within the divorce and then we're going to send it to family law. And I remember the judge was like, you can't do that. And I was like, oh, yes, I can, Your Honor. Watch me. And I would just do, I mean, right, <laughs> look on your face right now, Susie's classic. <laughs> did, you, did you wear animal prints to, to um, court? Um, the, I allowed myself to dress more myself probably about five years into to litigating. Okay. At the time, I was still very much, oh, my God, I was only like 25. And I, I looked baby-faced, and I had ringlets. My hair was like in ringlets at the time. So I used to get a lot of like, oh, you're so cute. And then I would say crazy shit, and they'd be like, she's crazy. Um, but it was it – was, I would wild out. Like now I'm like think back in a little bit of dismay. Like what were you thinking? And I did and it worked out and the case got, you know, through the – it got through the channels and the family law judge just had a time. You know, it was like the funnest case he'd ever worked on because it was just wild. And everything kind of worked out. But at a certain point I was like I need – I need wiser, older attorneys around me. Sure, 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 sure. So then I went to big law and I – got um i guess i don't know if you could say recruited but my aunt had a connection and then a connection had a connection and i got asked to interview and then i started doing workers compensation defense okay okay so a big quite a change going from solo judith just winging it just wild woman judith to the more structured aspects of of big law right so that had to have been a little bit of a shock to your system it will, for several reasons, because workers' compensation practice in California is still a little bit of the Wild West <laughs> um, in terms of procedure. And it's administrative law, but it also has been gifted certain procedural elements of regular civil practice. So it's just like a fun, weird practice area. And it's very collegial because you're going to see the same person on 200 files because it's a volume business. So it's just different practice. But I remember my first hearing in um, workers' comp and like everyone's walking around yelling at each other. It's a conference room, not a proper courtroom. And I'm just like, what is happening in here? Like, oh my God, there's no roll call. Like no one's on time for anything. And I go to the judge and I'm like arguing my ass off. And he just like looks at me and he's like, oh, you did civil yeah, we don't do that here. Can you two go talk and sort things out and then only come back to me if you have a solution? <laughs> I was like, what is happening? Very, very different practice area, but it was the best thing 
ever. And I made some amazing relationships, even my posing councils. Like I have some who I just would, I just adore them. Like I think about them now and I'm like, oh my God, they were so amazing humans. They were, had great conversation. They'd been in practice for 40 something years plus. Like these are people who love the art of being attorneys. Like it was such a cool place to land and the best place I think for ending that chapter of my life. Like I couldn't have asked for a better practice area or a better group of people. Now, not everyone has my experience obviously, but I had a lovely one. I love hearing positive stories like that, right? Because there's always the good, the bad, and sometimes the ugly. So it's good to, to hear when someone has a really positive experience. So did you have a mentor at that firm that you, um, that kind of like guided you or someone that inspired you there? Yeah, there were two attorneys, really my managing partner and um, managing supervising attorney, because you know, there's like weird hierarchies and big law. Um, so the managing partner of our office and then the managing supervising attorney, um, and I'll say their names, Robert and Carol, like lovely, lovely, like just good dudes, like solid dudes. We love you dudes. Yeah, we love you. Solid dudes. Um, <laughs> And I had a colleague of mine who was sort of my lateral at the time, Susan, and she was just so gracious. And Johan, too. Like, the whole office was a group of people. It's like, open door policy. So literally, just pop your head and be like, I've got questions. What do I do next? And they were very much like, we are in the business of advancing cases forward. We are not, we're doing burn ground, like, burn the ground, discovery tactics, like, have no place here we need to really, really like work on how do we advance this forward? So the question that you lead with all the time is how do we advance this forward? And like that piece of advice was just so incredibly helpful. And I think really helped me launch my career and eventually make partner at a different law firm is because I always had that in mind. That was the best piece of advice. And they were nurturing and loving. And we went to lunch every day. We went, we had breakfast every Friday with each other. Like, it gets, it's a very lovely practice area in case anyone is thinking about switching practice areas. I highly recommend workers' compensation defense. It's just very lovely. <laughs> That's some really good guidance. I mean, honestly, because not every practice area is the same or as collegial, right? Even when it comes, not just dealing with opposing counsel on work, but also internally, um, there can be competition amongst associates. <laughs> yeah, no, this is very much not that kind of a practice area. It just yeah. really isn't. And, um, and here's the thing, whoever's listening, just because your practice area you're in right now might feel difficult, you might be struggling with opposing counsels. It may not be you as a lawyer. It just may be you might need a change of practice area. And I'm not a huge proponent of like changing our circumstances to make ourselves feel better. But the truth is not every practice area is a good fit for every attorney. Like some of you might really love transactional work, but being in civil litigation is not your jam or being in criminal law is not your jam where you have to be literally in court all the time. Like there are definitely places to play within law where you can find a sweet spot just for you. You really can. And I just want to encourage you all to consider that as a potential place to find a little bit of, of sweetness and some lightness in practice if you want to remain in practice. I think that's such great guidance, Judith, because so many people, when they get out of law school, it seems like they kind of get pigeonholed into their practice area, right? And they get two, three, four years deep in their practice area. And it's like, oh my gosh, no, like I can't change at this point. 
right? I mean, everything I know is trademark law. <laughs> yeah. You may not be guilty of that, right? It's like, I don't know how to do anything else. Like, what would I do? Um, I think that's awesome, right? That, would a big firm though, like that you, that you had worked at facilitate that though? Can they help a, a young lawyer facilitate trying something different after a few years if they're not super happy? Or is it like, oh, if you're not going to love, you know, bankruptcy out of here? Yeah. I mean, my experience was with two firms that did strictly workers' compensation defense. So um, I can't speak to big law that has multi-practice areas under one roof. But what I can say, and this is something to remember, you're interviewing them just as much as they're interviewing you, y'all. If you're like looking to make a transition from one practice area to another, or you're just starting out, one of the things you can ask them is like, do you have some sort of program within your firm that helps us learn this practice area and make us sort of like masters of the art of fill in the blank practice area so that like, I think part of the threshold of discomfort that so many baby attorneys feel, and I, I'm sorry for saying baby attorneys, it's just something I've gotten used to saying, <laughs> young attorneys, you, like br brand new attorneys, is the learning curve when you get out of law school is like, you think you know everything and then you really realize suddenly you don't know anything. Isn't that scary? It's like terrifying. It was like law school for me was so hard, but you know, you get out and you're like, I know things. And then you start at a firm and you're like, I don't know shit. I don't, know, I don't know nothing, right? So like creating an environment or finding an environment where there's definitely people who are more knowledgeable than you, because guess what, darling, you, you really do need that. Um, you need an excellent legal secretary or legal assistant who knows more than you has been practicing like way longer than you. God bless them. They're the ones who are going to teach you so much about writing briefs, writing, you know, whatever court documents you have to write. Like these are your people who are going to teach you so much. So you want to go to a place where they have a program that facilitates learning all of that. I was lucky enough at both my firms um, that I went to where they had programs that were in place for that. Like um, the last room I was at, literally the associates, when they're brand, brand new, they come in, it's a six month program, teaching them the law 101, having them shadow other attorneys at hearings, because our hearings are a little bit of a different baby, um, getting on phone calls, being at depositions. Like we really teach you from the nitty gritty ground up and you want to find a firm that does that. Do you mean actually how to practice law? actually had a practice law. Actually, wait, you mean we didn't learn that in law school? <laughs> Surprise! What happened? Why did we pay all of that money and like put ourselves through that? And then we take the bar and then we get out. And all of a sudden we're like, we have to learn now how to actually practice the law. Actually and, practice the law. But yeah. we do get paid for that, for it at that point, right? Yeah, so yeah. Now you're it. getting paid. And here's a hot tip <laughs> for any of y'all who are like, okay, start at this like, yeah, like hot tip incoming. Here's what I learned. And this is, <laughs> this is going to sound really funny, but I remember when I was a solo practitioner and I had all these pieces of paper. I had no idea how to fill out. I had no idea what to do. And, um, my secretary, God bless her, had been like, 
she was she was old hat she was like i know what to do i'm like gangster so i leaned on her a lot so number one if you're gonna hang your shingle you want to find a legal assistant that you're gonna pay handsomely who has worked for at least a decade more than you because they know everything and you know nothing so good the so second good. thing is if you're gonna hang your shingle again or you work for an attorney who's not really willing to train you you're gonna make friends with your local clerk at your court. Oh, okay. okay. You're going to make super friends with them. You are going to tell them how much you appreciate them and love them because they are the gatekeeper to getting your shit in front of a judge, number one. But number two, they know more than you. So one of the things I would do oftentimes, especially when I was doing appellate briefs as a ghostwriter, don't even ask, terrible, just don't even ask, Whoa. is I would go here. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a whole story behind there. Yeah, it was a very successful uh, ghostwriter of appellate briefs. And if anyone knows about appellate writing and ever writ wrote a writ of mandate, 85% of them are declined. Every writ of mandate I've ever written was accepted, and opinions that were published issued on them. So, I love appellate writing. Like I would still do that on the side, honestly. Well, you have a published book too. You have a published book too. Yeah. I love writing. Yeah. What is your book? How to be a fucking lady. <laughs> okay. Okay. Is it on Amazon? It is on Amazon. Okay. So you can go find it. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. yeah It'll but... be we'll put it in the, in, on, in the show notes. Okay, sure. cool. Okay. But like, seriously, <laughs> make friends with your clerk because one of the things I would pretend to do is I would pretend, this is so funny. I would go and pretend my attorney's really mean attorney I work for like I'm a law clerk and he's really mean and he wants perfection and I don't know what I'm doing and the clerk would be like okay honey let me show you <laughs> don't, you don't you love people like that though I just love and clerks if you really defer to their expertise their years of experience and the fact that you know nothing you will seriously get the help you need because the truth that is all the truth so I remember um, an appellate brief once and had a joint appendix that was giant and it was a huge mess. And I went back to the same clerk five times. And every time she'd be like, red mark, red mark. I'm like, I will be back. And I would go fix it and I would take my ass back there to the same window and I'd wait for her to be ready. And she'd mark it again and we'd do it again and again and again until I perfected how to properly compile the appellate brief and the appendix that she needed to go do her job. So. Seriously, y'all, there's nothing wrong with saying, I don't know, my attorney's really mean and evil and I really need your help. <laughs> I don't know shit. And like, really, you're going to do yourself such a service of going to yourself to the court, not relying on the court runner, going yourself in front of the clerk to deliver things so you can see what changes they'd like made in real time. And you're going to learn so much because like Susie said, you don't know shit. We really, really don't. <laughs> you get out and you, you don't know anything, my friends. Let's take a quick pause for a message from my sponsor, Prominent Practice. Are you thinking about a career transition from big law or partnership to a solo practice, selling your practice, or maybe you're launching a project unrelated to law? Whatever the reason for your transition, you'll need support along the way. Enter Prominent Practice, an executive consulting and marketing firm specializing in branding, positioning, and reputation management for transitioning attorneys. Founded by a female entrepreneur who spent a decade building smart digital platforms for thought leaders before pivoting to focus on high-end service providers who were preparing for successions, mergers, and acquisition events in their businesses. 
If you're thinking about making a big business move, don't risk losing the ability to leverage the reputation you've spent your career building. Let Prominent Practice be your guide. Visit prominentpractice.com slash blist for an exclusive introduction. Oh, I think we're trained. I think it's trained into us to be problem solvers and to try and be the most knowledgeable person in the room. And it's like the guy with the, you know, that obscure case citation is the one who wins. The gal who can argue the best is the one who wins. And yes and no, my friends, like the longer you get into practice, a lot of practice is relationships. And this is something I would tell my young ladies who I supervise, this is a relationship business. Surprise, no one told you. A lot of this is going to be emotional intelligence, which we're not trained to do. And one of the best things you can do for yourself, for your emotional intelligence, for your development as an attorney, as a practitioner, is to really start to exercise I don't know. And not make that mean anything negative about you. Yes. Oh my gosh, Judith, if I would have had this advice at 25, 30, right, in terms of it's okay to not know. It doesn't mean anything about you. But I remember just always being like, so fearful and almost in a state of panic because I'm like, I don't know this stuff. Like, why do I not, you know, I feel like everyone else knows things and I just feel stupid. Right. Like maybe I'm just stupid. And like, I think it caused a lot of, um, self-doubt in me when, you know, in real reality, if I would have had a coach or have done thought work in the past or, you know, kind of around that, (laughs) it would have been a game changer. It could have been a game changer. Oh, hell yes, my friend, right? Like if we had the tools we have now, then we'd be, it would have just been different experience of practice, I think for myself. So part of my mission when I started to be in a supervisory role was like, I don't know is your best friend. (laughs) Because first of all, we know if you don't know when you're making up shit, like we all know, and it's worse. It's just worse, stop talking. Like, so, you know, one of the things I learned early on is just like, your honor, I don't know, but I will research that and give back to you. If you'll give me leave, I can brief you or I can come and I can give oral argument next time we come back. Um, I just simply don't have the answer. And I got such I got such a rapport with judges because then they could trust that whatever I came back I actually had research I wasn't bullshitting them and it would also give my opposing counsel opportunity to get their shit together if they didn't have it together um or to have a meaningful conversation with them like I don't want to fucking come back here dude can we come up can we deal today can you can you get some money can we make a deal because I don't want to come back here I don't want to research this I don't want to write a brief against your briefs I know how you write I'm not doing this like yeah tell me make a demand so it's sometimes saying I don't know and asking leave to go find out gives you leverage to negotiate with your opposing counsel. It gives you respect from the judge that you're not just going to bullshit them. Like there's so many benefits to I don't know. Um, I've also had the weird experience sometimes of <laughs> there's an attorney in particular of mine. Um, he's in his late 70s. He held my hand one day. <laughs> I just I can't even walk me around the courthouse to introduce me to his favorite like um, bailiffs and judges like just really funny man and I remember saying I didn't know something there's a particular procedural issue I didn't know and he was like let me break it down for you this is my opposing counsel but for whatever reason because I was uh, like I don't know what it was I endeared myself to him in some way 
And he'd been practicing, I think, 45 years at that point in time. Like, he was a late attorney because he'd practiced in his 30s. And he was, like, in his late 70s. And he broke me down this whole procedural issue for me, explained it to me, you know. And I, I didn't always take it at his face value. I went and researched it my own, just make sure he didn't leave anything out, of you course. You were but... over. <laughs> right, right. Like, are you trying – just because you're a cute old man, are you trying to have your way, right? Like, Right. You can never but... be too careful. I you mean, can never be too careful. Good. Absolutely. <laughs> But I developed this cool relationship with him. And I wouldn't have, if I hadn't, if I blustered and pretended I knew, I would have missed out on this opportunity to meet this fascinating gentleman who had been practicing forever and a day, who had seen all the things. Like, I mean, you miss out on developing these amazing relationships if you don't exercise, I don't know, from time to time. Wow. That is such a learning, um, I think, like just such a great tip for people because they don't real, so many of us don't realize the ancillary benefits, you know, it's like yeah. benefits of saying, I don't know. Right. But you have a perfect example. Yeah. You just never know. Like you never know the other person's response. And I mean, I've had attorneys who get irate. You don't know. What do you mean? You don't know. I'm like, I don't know. You can be mad all you want. Like it's not yeah. going to change anything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember getting to the point in my own practice when I would be speaking with clients and, and just realizing that I can say now to a client, I don't know, I don't really know that, but I'm going to go figure, I'm going to go figure it out and come back, you know, with an answer or some a strategy for you. Um, I think that that just reflects a lot of growth as a lawyer, that you get to the point where you do realize I don't know. And there's no point in trying to bluster your way through something, right? Like it's just, there's really no benefit of it. No, no benefit. Really y'all no benefit. (laughs) So question, when did you like decide I'm going to balance on practicing law? Was this like a decision like that? Or did you did you go through sort of the whole like mental challenges of, but it's my identity, right? Because I hear so many people say they're, they're kind of afraid of getting out of practicing law because I'm a lawyer, like this is part of my identity, right? Or there's a sunk cost fallacy of I've invested so much in my career. Um, <laughs> I'm sure you've heard that one. So where, where were you in all of this? Were you just ready to, did you know? Were you confident in that decision or? Oh my God. Anyone who's ever coached me on this, which would be like a whole multitude of people. Like I agonized over the decision. I had agonized. I agonized. Um, And I agonized from several perspectives. There was one like, what do I say to people that I do? Which was like, I had such a hard time being like, I'm a style coach. Like people like, what you, (laughs) that's not a thing. Right. Like, which I did get that response a few times, but Oh, but I it's did a thing. It, like it's a thing. Guess what? It's a thing. You make a lot of money doing that thing. But yeah. um, at first it was just the identity of like, I'm a lawyer and being able to say I'm a lawyer. And I didn't realize that was a huge part of it, but it really was. Um, the second part was like, what do I tell my family mm-hmm. um, who had put so much stock in me being a lawyer? And they were so proud of me that I was a lawyer. Sure. Sure. And I was the first person in my family to obtain a doctoral degree and go to graduate school. So like this is like a huge deal. Um, so it like all I feel like all their hopes and dreams were wrapped up in me being a lawyer, which is not true, but at the time it felt very true. It felt that way, right? Yeah. 
And then there was, you know, I always say there's the God stuff for me. I have a Christian background. So it was like, God, is this okay? Am I ungrateful for everything you've done for me as up to this point in time because I'm deciding to do something different? Is this okay? Am I allowed? Um, And that was very interesting, just sort of reconciling all these things and ultimately deciding a few things. And just for anybody who's just thinking about making this kind of a transition, here's the thoughts that were helpful to me that helped me make the leap. Number one, I'm always going to be a lawyer. I have a Juris Doctorate. Maybe I'm not practicing, but I'm always going to be a lawyer. Always going to be a lawyer. I'm always going to like, <laughs> my brain was trained in a very formative part of my brain, like getting its goo the way it is. Like in your early 20s, when we most of us go to law school, our brain is still forming like during those like important prescient years, like, right? Like this is how it works. We are literally, our brains are retrained to think a completely different way. That will never be taken away from me. I can't unknow the things that I know and I can't stop thinking the way that I think naturally now as a result of that training. I'm okay with this. I love that because you specifically mentioned in a recent podcast about taking your experience and knowledge with you and that like all of these things that you've done in your past can be used now and just how lean into the skills that you have, right? So like, even if you've been a lawyer and you decided to you know, not practice anymore, you still have brought those skills with you. Like you're always a lawyer. Yeah. No, there's no undoing it. (laughs) Yeah. There's no undoing, like speaking in such a way that like, here's my main point. Here are three sub points that support my main point. Here's the conclusion. I can't, I'm always going to talk that way. Like there's no helping myself now at this point. (laughs) Excluding, but not limited to. Right. Oh, it's like that Christmas card. I don't know if I, if you got that link that I, was, I think you did. I, I did. I saw you. that. I love for it. The, for the lawyer revised a Christmas card. I wish you a reasonably Merry Christmas. Um, it's so good. So good. So, so yeah, that's like an example of how, like, even if you're not practicing law anymore, like that is, that's still there, right? Like you kind of still approach it's still it. There. And, yeah. yeah. And I'm sure so much of what you learned um, as a lawyer has been, very beneficial for your business right now. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Like I filed my own LLC. I filed my own like, you know, things like I I don't need anyone to do that for me. I'm perfectly capable. So like save some money, but those legal fees, right? (laughs) Right. But like (laughs) thinking in terms of systems and processes and strategic problem solving, like all of that comes with me. Like I was a litigator. So not all attorneys, of course, but I was a litigator. So like the gift of gab is going to follow me. Like, that's part of the deal. And I love that. I love that. So you had mentioned the thought, like some thoughts about it, right? And that was the first one. That, that was the first one. Yeah. yeah. So- the second one that helped me was, and and this is going to be different for everyone, of course, but was that I could affect more change as a coach than I could as an attorney. Mm. Interesting. Okay. So let's talk about that. Yeah. Tell me more, like, tell me about like how you are affecting that change in your, in your work today. This is fascinating. Yeah. So there was, there came a point, a critical point in what I was, I was practicing full-time and being a coach. And there was a part where I realized like I was going to have to start to turn away coaching clients in order to serve 
and continue to serve at a high level of excellence, because that was important to me, my legal clients. And at some point it was like, wait a minute, I could help multiplied thousands of women learn to be confident and love themselves. And if they're lawyers and they're doctors, they could go do their work in the world from a completely different frame of mind. And the ripple effect of that would be so pronounced. You, we couldn't even, it's like geometric math. Like we can't actually calculate that. It's just such an exponential change that could happen with just a small amount of amazing, incredible, smart women who need some help in this particular area versus catastrophic claims where I could affect one life pretty significantly, but it's not like I could talk about it. It's not like I could go and say, hey, do you know that we did this thing for this person who was a victim of a terrorist attack? No, I, I, I can't share that stuff. You're not going to be doing podcasts and spreading. I can't do podcasts on it because <laughs> I hear the lessons I learned this week and catastrophic claims. Like, no, I, I, you you can't. You absolutely cannot. So the ripple effect wouldn't be there because I couldn't speak to multiplied thousands about the change we were making for this one person, and that started to weigh on me. And it became at first I thought being a lawyer was such a vocation, not just like a job, but an actual vocation. And when I mind switched to, okay, this other thing is also a vocation and it has the ability to affect the lives of thousands, potentially millions of women, this is more important to me at this point. I can affect more change as a coach than I can as a lawyer. And that freed me up all this guilt that I had about the God stuff and about the family stuff. And then it became almost like women on a mission to help all the other women who are on a mission. Your why your why was, was greater, I guess. Um, so were you working with coaches at that point yourself to help you kind of work through that? Yeah. So (laughs) Carl Lowenthal, I talked about it and I'm dropping her name as a fellow lawyer. Yeah. Who's turned coach. She initially coached me in 2017. Yes, May of 2017. Years I coached her one on one years ago, when she was still taking one on one clients. She no longer is. <laughs> it. Well, in coaching land, that is a long time ago, right? In real world, that's not a long time at all. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Um, we created the first iteration of my program together, and then I chickened out and I ghosted her, which is funny because like I adore her and I have such a great. Um, yeah. coach client relationship with her now but I totally ghosted her I was like I can't do this oh my god I can't do this and I like You're freaked out, out you freaked out, <laughs> completely freaked out. It's, okay. <laughs> and it's so funny in retrospect I completely freaked out yeah and I tabled okay. it like I still I dabbled I did my podcast like I had a client here or there I but all free I wasn't charging anybody any money until about 2019 um and finally, I went to a writing retreat with Brooke and a dear friend of mine was also there and they were coaching me at the table and I will never forget this because they were like, are you running a fucking fashion charity? Or like, do you, like, what is happening? Do you not like money? You need to charge people. I can, I can totally see Brooke saying that. <laughs> do you not like money? Do you not like money? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you have to charge, like you have to charge people. And she, we made a deal. Yeah, uh, we made a deal. She's like, you're not allowed to coach unless you charge or you're just not allowed to coach anymore. 
And I remember crying and I was just like so upset. I cry a lot, but I was just like, <laughs> like, don't take coaching away from me. I love coaching. And she was like, well, charge people money. And I made my first client, like first paid client ever at that retreat. And then like things started to gain momentum after that. But yeah, this was not it. I went kicking and screaming for sure. It wasn't like this easy transition. So it wasn't, yeah. So it wasn't like, boom, I made the decision, right? I'm going to do the thing. Like there was a transition period for you. You had some oh, yeah. coaching, probably some therapy, maybe some. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. All the modalities. <laughs> there were all the things. There were the, the, this coach who did that and that coach who did this and then the therapist and the neurofeedback. Like, yeah. no, I had all hands on deck. Yeah. All hands was, on. Yeah. All hands on deck for the transition out of law. Um, okay. So I just absolutely love the idea of like, you know, kind of telling yourself that, that there's that thought that I am going to be doing, or like my impact in the world can be three times what it is currently. Right. Um, that's, that's such a cool, like, that's a cool way of looking at it because I think a lot of times attorneys, you know, that they want to do something. I don't want to say grander. I mean, because like, what they do is very valid and great, but there's like, they have this bigger vision for their lives. And, you know, there's so many different things that they could do. Um, you know, I think that being a parent, right? Like attorneys who are like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to take a break here and I'm going to go home and be, or I'm going to stay at home and be a mom for, for five or 10 years or, or whatever it is, right. Knowing that the law will always be there. They can always go back, even though if it's, even though it might seem scary, but even in that situation, like their impact on the world through that, through raising their children and getting to be home can be such a beautiful impact. It can really be, you know, triple as well in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. I think in any attorney listening to this, if there's some other thing that you want to do, Here's what I want to say. And this is what I say to my coach. A lot of my attorney clients or my doctor clients is like, our motivations are never going to be pure, my friends. So we don't always have to find some altruistic reason why we want to do something. For me, there was a multitude of reasons, some of which were altruistic and my impact could be greater. Some of it was not so altruistic in the sense that like, I realized at some point I could make a lot more money, frankly, as an entrepreneur than I could as a partner at my firm. And that's, I'm okay with that also being part of the bag or the fact that I wanted to just have more time freedom. And I was exhausted from litigating for 11 years on really complex cases. From day one, I was on complex cases. Until the day, my last day of work, I had trial. <laughs> it was complicated cases. Like, and you know what? I'm okay with that was part of the mixed bag. So I, I don't want you to think that you have to have a pure motivation, so to speak. It could be mixed motivations for your reasons to leave the law, stay in the law, take a break from the law, whatever it is you decide. Like, don't look for like a why that is pure or something. It, it just doesn't exist, my friends. Not there. Right. All right. So what is next for you, Judith? Ooh, I like that question. I mean, <laughs> I work with a vision coach, which is so funny. I never thought I would say that. Coach, I love yeah, it. I never thought I would say that because my level of tolerance of woo was like right about my nose, like not over my head. And, you know, she's very much like very woo. And I just love her. She's got such a gentle spirit. Um, and I have a lot, had a lot of coaches that have more 
just to say it this way, masculine energy, a little bit harder in their approach. So my vision coach is very soft. It's just like a fun place to play. So one thing we do is we kind of work on your vision for three years from now, 10 years from now, like really thinking about this very often. We talk about it every session. Um, so for me, what's next is like very clear in my mind, like where I want to head and like my 10 year vision, just to sort of answer the question in that way is um, I want to grow my business to such a place where we can microfinance small businesses, um, women-owned businesses. That's going to take a lot of money. So <laughs> like I want to get to a place where like I own um, a vintage mansion that's been renovated and becomes a retreat space. I want to create an actual modern charm school for like feminist snarky women. Um, <laughs> I love it. And like I want my business, you know, style masterclass program to be so robust that we're helping like hundreds of women every single month and like really really changing women's lives and like that's the bigger giant vision for the next few years out so that's what's next I think that's amazing so tell me a little bit about style masterclass yeah so style masterclass is my eight-week program and I help women literally dress and love the body they're in. So meaning we work on your bras and undies, because let me tell y'all, if you want a hot tip, another hot tip, you hot want tip to, incoming. <laughs> right? Like if you want to be comfortable and confident giving oral argument, make sure your damn bras and panties fit. Just saying, because that is a complete distraction from more important shit that you have to work on. So we start with bras and panties. Um, we talk about fitting them. We clean out your closet. I teach you how to create outfits and how to style yourself, how to shop for clothing. It's like the practical part, but in conjunction with coaching on confidence and body image. So you get a whole makeover inside out and you leave like conquer and slay energy. Like let's go do the damn thing. Like that's how I want every woman to leave my program. So it's that's so good. That's so good. Yeah. Um, so I want to leave, I, I know that you probably have things going on and I want to be really mindful of your time. Um, but I would love for you to just kind of like leave like one little style nugget, maybe for lawyers. Um, oh, but I mean, you, you kind of did with like making sure your bras and panties, you know, you're not like fiddling <laughs> with them in court, right. That's not super attractive. <laughs> it's like mentally distracting. Um, like, what if you just, you know, went no bra? Like, is that permissible? <laughs> you can have a no bra experience. There's a whole way to make that happen. Um, I talk about that with my clients a lot. Like, booby tape is amazing up to a certain cup size. Like, I will get you in the nitty gritty details because I will soapbox on that. But, I mean, if I were to leave everyone with a style tip, um, one of the things I would just really would say is this week, as you're going about your business, doing your work, I want you to start to pay attention to any place you're tugging or pulling or adjusting your clothes. Like raise your awareness of that because so many women are taught and particularly powerful women who are in powerful jobs. We're taught to ignore physical discomfort because somehow it's like beauty is pain and we're beauty have to like sacrifice to the beauty and style gods, our physical comfort. Like that's some bullshit. So I want the you the, 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 like the more painful, like the more beautiful, right? Right. Right. We have to have like an Ally McBeal like outfit. No, like screw all that. Like just 
No, no, no. But I really want you to raise your awareness this week. I want you to just pay attention. Okay. And for our dudes who happen to be listening to you, do this as well. But like, we love y'all too. <laughs> we love y'all too. But for my ladies who I think this is really the social programming is like, I want you to pay attention. Are you tugging on your bra? Are you like having to reach into your pants to pull up your panties that have fallen down? Are you getting wedgies? Are your butt like pants crotching up? Like, is your suit jacket tugging under your armpits? Like, what is going on with your clothes? And really raise your awareness of it because all that time is now wasted. And it's a distraction from the important shit you have to do. And if I can relieve you of any distraction so you can go about your work, it's the distraction of ill-fitting clothes. And giving you permission, whatever they cost you, my friends, to just get rid of them. We have to raise your awareness first. You know, I think that's, that's really great because first of all, you know, it does help raise your awareness, right? It kind of brings you into your body in the moment, which is really important, but then it also, it kind of, another point here, I think is that is important is that it's okay to get rid of certain clothes, right? Like there are some clothes that we will not ever fit back in ever again. We're not going to, and that's okay. None of us are going to be 18 again. Right. Yeah. And getting rid of those things, like and giving yourself the grace to not beat yourself up about getting rid of ill-fitting clothes, right? Donating them or whatever it is. Um, it's okay. You can do it. Yeah. And it's like, it's just a great, like if we go meta with this whole thing and make, just really think about this from like a metaphorical standpoint, getting in the habit of anything that is a distraction and is not working for you and giving yourself permission to go do that so you can free up space for the things you want. Let's start with your panty drawer, of course. Let's start with your clothes, but then let's look around your life and be like, what have I been tolerating that I don't want to tolerate anymore? Mm, mm -hmm. And that right there could be a whole other episode. That's a whole other episode. (laughs) Talking about what are we tolerating, right? Like what are we tolerating as lawyers, as women, as humans, right? Just yeah. as we go about our daily life, what is it that we're tolerating? I think that um, I'm going to go ahead and invite you to come on <laughs> another, another time. Yeah, and we will talk about it because I, I, you know, and that's something that that we can just leave people with as well is make it, you know, write it down. What am I tolerating in life right now, right? And and how is it making me feel? Um, becoming aware of what you're tolerating, I think can um can be pretty eye-opening for a lot of oh, people oh yes and Just literally question it's funny because i start my clients with their underwear and their clothing and then automatically your brain will start like a heat-seeking missile it starts to look around you of like where else holy shit and that's how life starts to transform it's really good so i love that as a question to leave them with i love that thank you so much for being on here Judith. this was such this a was, good conversation this thank was so fun this was so much fun so where can people find you yeah I think that really the best place is to just start with my podcast. You can check out the Style Masterclass podcast on iTunes. And that's a great entry into my world and kind of figure out what I'm all about and get some quick wins and some help. Yes. And your your podcast is absolutely fantastic. And I like how you leave a lot of your pod, podcasts with sort of a, like a quick win, right? Like Or like a challenge. You have like a little... Um, glam gal mission, the glam gal, the <laughs> glam gal mission. I like, I heard that. I was just like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. Again, thank you so much for hanging out with me today, Judith. This was awesome. Thank you.
Thank you so much for hanging out with us today on Legally Bliss Conversations. If you love this episode and you want to hang out with other inspiring and light gold female attorneys, be sure to join the Legally Bliss community at legallyblissed.com. And be sure to follow me on Instagram at Susie Hickson. See you next time.